0: Over the years, at certain intervals, I would have new symptoms that were very mysterious, Mm -hmm. undiagnosed and kind of unsolved. So I drew out this timeline of my health history, brought it to the doctor and found that it really helped me express my story, make sure I hit all the important points that I wanted to say, not forget anything. It looked sort of like an infographic and took that around to every first appointment with a new doctor and found that The doctors were really enthusiastic, and so I just found that it was helping me, and it was helping doctors understand me better, so I started Pictal Health to bring this idea to more people.
1: Hello everyone, this is Bon Koo, and welcome to another episode of Design Lab. On this show, we tell stories about how the worlds of design, art, science, and health intersect. Today, our guest is Katie McCurdy. Katie is a design consultant, autoimmune patient, and the founder of Pictal Health. After years of struggling to communicate about her own mysterious symptoms, Katie created a new way for people to tell their health stories visually so that they feel heard and understood as they work with doctors to get the right diagnosis and treatment. I love her work. In fact, her visual health histories are a case study in my book, Health Design Thinking. Katie also spent a decade using visual communication and human-centered design to facilitate team collaboration and improve our healthcare experience. She lives, skis, hikes, and eats chocolate in Burlington, Vermont. Thank you to everyone who gave us a shout out on social media this week, to Alan Brewington, Justin Moore, and to my friend, Teresa Chan from Canada. As a listener, you can support this podcast by leaving us five stars on Apple Podcasts and subscribing on whatever platform you use to listen. Katie McCurdy, welcome to Design Lab.
0: Thanks for having me, Bon.
1: So you're joining us from Vermont, is that right?
0: Yeah, I live in Burlington, Vermont.
1: You grew up up there too, right?
0: Actually, I'm from Michigan.
1: Oh, you're from Michigan. Michigan. So you might hear it
0: in my accent.
1: We're both Midwesterners. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Where are you from again?
1: I'm from uh, a little bit north of Chicago. So I lived there for the first like seven years of my life, then right. moved to Houston, Texas. Yeah, my parents are from Rockford. Cool, cool. Yeah. You're a big chocolate lover. What's your favorite chocolate?
0: Yeah, actually, I've got some chocolate right in front of me. I'm into the Endangered Species 88% Strong and Velvety Dark
1: Chocolate. Ooh, I love that. About a
0: bar a day.
1: I'm, I like to eat chocolate too when I max out on coffee. It gives me like a little bit more energy.
0: Yeah, it's my coffee. So
1: <laughs> so in doing my research about you, you went to University of Michigan for undergrad, and then you went to grad school there where you studied human-computer interaction. What the heck is that?
0: Yeah, so I did a graduate degree in the School of Information, and the specialization was human-computer interaction. And it's basically... I think the term was created in like the 80s and 90s when mm-hmm. we were computing was first coming about and we were first trying to figure out how computers and computer programs can be more intuitive and user friendly for people. And so now they've changed the name I think they call it experience design or something. Okay. Like that. So it's just basically an, like, a little bit outdated and more academic term for user experience.
1: And For listeners who don't know what experience design, what the heck is experience design?
0: (laughs) Sure. That's a good question. I think there's a lot of people at a lot of conferences who have arguments about what that means. But So I have spent about 10 years working as a user experience designer and researcher. And to me, it's really just being a designer which to me means trying to again design whether it's experiences technology products to to kind of anticipate people's needs to design with the end user in mind and also in partnership with the people who are going to be using The thing that you're designing.
2: Okay, (laughs) I like that.
0: Yeah, I think it's all these topics that you've talked about on your show. I have focused on healthcare for most of my career. Okay, and so I've spent time with healthcare startups doing kind of interface-intensive user experience design and research, especially for health data startups and connected device startups and things like that. And then I also worked with an academic medical center here in Burlington, Vermont, doing all types of design in the hospital setting from how can we make this EHR flow more user-friendly for doctors? How can we update the patient portal so that the words align with what patients are expecting to see? How can we redesign the medical bill so that it's easier to understand and even how can we better design a wayfinding and signage system in a hospital setting. Yeah,
1: so, and I want to get into all of those. And this was at the University of v- Vermont Medical Center. Yeah, correct? Okay. Right. Yeah. And I'm curious to know, growing up in Michigan, did you always want to be an experienced designer? Like what was no. your design journey?
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I, I went to high school in the 90s this career didn't really exist yet growing up i I was always doodling and just drawing Mm. and my parents discouraged me from going into art and said oh really what do you want (laughs) to be a starving artist so i kind of bounced around for many years after graduating from college and just kind of had a series of various jobs and then finally started taking classes in web development Mm. and kind of had an interest in designing for technology. And then I found my way to that graduate program at Michigan. And that's when I got very deep into design and also information architecture, like Mm. trying to organize lots of complex information and bring order to chaos.
1: Love it. Speaking of bringing order to chaos, healthcare is chaotic and the communication in healthcare is awful. I hate it, but you started this company called Pictal Health that is really seeking to redesign how stories are told. Can you tell us about um, Pictal Health and how you're helping patients tell their medical histories?
0: Yeah, sure. I think the origin story of Pictal Health really starts with my own experiences. And I, so I'm a designer, but I'm also a patient with two plus autoimmune conditions. Mm. And I've actually had one of them, myasthenia gravis, since I was 13. And Mm. I also have Sjogren's syndrome and maybe more. I'm I'm still trying to figure it out. But over the years at certain intervals, I would have new symptoms that were very mysterious, Mm. undiagnosed and kind of unsolved. And I was going- So
1: it's such a hard disease to characterize because you get like muscle weakness and dryness and it doesn't really, it's a constellation of symptoms that's hard to like dread- how yeah. the symptoms are connected. Exactly. Very
0: the myasthenia gravis was very, I'm lucky I was diagnosed very quickly with that. But then it was the Sjogren symptoms that were this constellation of neuropathy. Mm. I had heart palpitations. I had mm. just all these different things. And I was going around to different specialists. All I was living in New York City and no one could really help me. No one could really tell me what was going on. So I made an appointment with a holistic doctor who didn't take health insurance and sat down before that appointment, which I was expecting to spend a thousand dollars. And I actually spent $2,000 at at that appointment. $2,000
1: on one appointment?
0: Because he pushed a lot of supplements on me. And that was, that was a lot of it. So So when people are desperate, like I was, you're vulnerable, I think, Mm. to being taken advantage of. And so anyway, that's a whole other topic, I think. But I knew I was going to be paying a lot of money out of pocket. So I sat down and just started kind of drawing out, okay, how can I make the best use of time in this doctor visit? So just started with some big pieces of paper and just drew out my whole health history as a timeline. At the time, it was 2011, I was really interested in data visualization. I was going to conferences about you know, visualizing data and working as a designer. And so I was very accustomed to trying to draw out ideas and concepts that are invisible and make them more visible and understandable as pictures. So I drew out this timeline of my health history brought it to the doctor and found that it really helped me express my story, make sure I hit all the important points that I wanted to say, not forget anything. And so I I made a little nicer version of that. It looked sort of like an infographic and took that around to every first appointment with a new doctor and found that the doctors were really enthusiastic. They would say, Multiple doctors said, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. And so I just found that it was helping me and it was helping doctors understand me better. So I started Pictal Health to bring this idea to more people, to other people.
1: And and I just encourage everyone to check it out because these visual histories are so rich and they're so beautiful and When you look at medical data, beauty does not describe it. (laughs) You know, it's often in the, we look at these electronic health records in Cerner or Epic and they're templated words that are hard to understand. And I'm thinking, it makes so much sense when I, when I looked at Pictal Health, I was like, why can't patient history be visual? Because right now it's just in words and... So where where can people check it out? What's yeah, the website?
0: it's the website is Pictal Health, P-I-C-T-A-L health.com. dot Okay, and a bunch of examples there, and you're right. I mean, medical data is for the most part ugly. It's also it's trapped in different screens in the health record, and when doctors and you know practitioners, nurses dig through, they have to keep a bunch of information in their head Mm -hmm. and try and compile the big picture story in their head. But people uh, can only really keep about four pieces of information in their short-term memory. Mm. So when you have a complex patient with 20 different diagnoses, maybe 50 different medications taken at different periods of time, there's just no way for a doctor to really hold that story in their head. And so with Pictal Health, I basically have taken this process that I I did for myself and gone through this pretty intensive, very hands on process with 56 people now, where Mm. I interview them for usually about an hour and a half and really try and draw out their story. Then I have been married. an hour
1: and a half. That's a long time. That's probably yeah. How many patients like could see the doctor for an hour and a half? <laughs> right, it's all, a really it only, long time. It
0: is a long time, and it only happens, I think, in the holistic world, and where people might be paying out of pocket. Or yeah, it is a long time, and and also it's kind of not that long to mm. tell for someone to tell their whole life story, their everything that ever happened with their health and we go all the way back to birth to just capture it all because often things may have happened in childhood whether it's a broken bone or an allergic reaction or a trauma that has a bearing potentially on someone's someone's well-being later in their life And our electronic health records are useful in many ways, but they don't go back that far. data is just missing. And maybe it's in a note somewhere, Mm -hmm. but it's not easily available. And so in this first conversation, I found that we're able to really get most of the important information for someone's whole life story when it comes to their health Mm. and their history. So we cover off kind of the major medical data categories, things Mm -hmm. like diagnoses, treatments and medications. They've tried surgeries, tests and uh, procedures and things like that. But we also go through their symptom history. So mm. how were you feeling over time? When did it start? And we map that out, end up mapping that out visually. And then the other important thing that is a part of this is life events. Mm. And life events could be went to college, moved across the country, got married, got divorced, had kids. But what that helps bring into this picture, especially is the idea of stress yeah. and how stress folds into your life your life story and your health and how stress might kick off a new symptom or Oh new yeah. Part I mean of stress the picture. and
1: trauma. Like stress and trauma. I think the pandemic's gonna be on everyone's patient history timeline of like two thousand twenty was a traumatic event
0: for, yeah. for all of us. Yeah. How
1: that's gonna impact our mental health and physical health
0: trauma, isolation. Yeah, exactly. So that's something we all share. And then we all have our own individual moments in life that have been difficult. Are, um, are
1: patients giving you all their like medical data paperwork, or, like faxes and printouts <laughs> and stuff like that? Like, do they just like come with a pile of stuff and give it to you?
0: Some Sometimes, but what I've found is I just ignore that to start with. I, mm. I just say let's just start with a conversation. I have a template that I'm typing in. I'm at, I'm interviewing them, asking questions. We, I want to capture the key kind of highlights of their medical history, not every single data point. Okay. This is what I put together right now in a more manual way in Adobe Illustrator is like a static timeline of Mm. their whole health history. So I actually don't really have space to include like every blood test result they've ever had. But it's more like, did you have a blood test that resulted in a diagnosis or that ruled something out? Mm. So like, what are the important things that you want to point out to your doctor and say, Oh, I already had that test done. Here's what it said. And here's how I was, here's how I was diagnosed. So what we then do, the thing that people have the the most trouble remembering is medications they've taken because mm-hmm. the names can be so weird. Sure. Maybe you try a bunch of different ones. So then we'll refer to their patient portal or their files and, and they can fill in some of the gaps there. But I have heard this phrase, patients are poor historians and it makes me angry. All, all,
1: always blaming the patient. We're always blaming
0: <laughs> I know it <laughs> makes me angry because no, they're great historians. I actually I did a project with 10 patients from the VA who were Mm -hmm. older adults with memory problems. Mm -hmm. And so maybe early dementia, maybe a traumatic brain injury, different reasons, but in speaking with them and interviewing them about their life history, they actually, they did an amazing job at remembering the important moments Mm -hmm. of their life. Maybe they have a hard time remembering certain things in, the, in their day-to-day. But even people with memory problems were excellent historians wow. about their own life. And we even, the way we tested this is I worked with them first, then we had the doctor rate how accurate was their uh, timeline based on what he knew about their history and, and their medical record. And he, for the most part, rated it as a four or five out of five.
1: And wow. So,
0: so anyway, patients are great historians. It's just that when you sit down in a doctor appointment and you don't have any prompts and you don't have the time, it's hard to remember like one yeah. single data, you know, one single data.
1: It's like, give me, we have like five minutes and I need to extract information from you as a doctor to put it in the template that we're taught in medical school, history yeah. of present illness, meds, allergies, social history, family history. And I just want to get through that. And if you're not giving me what I need, I get frustrated. You're a poor historian because you're yeah. taking yeah. this long winded route. And I got like the stress time constraint and I need to yeah. extract this information from you. But humans are different of the way we tell our narratives right. around our health and illness. And I think a lot of it too, is like time. We just, time. and we get frustrated when patients don't give us what we want and, immediately in the first 10 seconds.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I totally feel for doctors being in and the time crunch and burnout. It's totally understandable.
1: But I feel like when I look at your timelines, the visual representation of the patient stories, I can learn so much in a in 2 seconds or 5 seconds, right? I'm like, "Wow. I wish that was in our electronic health record." because yeah. it takes so long to dig through the electronic health records. So, so many of them are uh, templated things. We call them like dot phrases in Epic that yeah. in order to speed charting, we have already a built-in template and then we're changing a few words. So most of the texts that you see in health records are meaningless. It's garbage. And we don't get, we don't get that whole timeline of who that person is in just one simple not simple, but you know, a easily digestible form for the human eyes of that history. And I was like, why aren't there more visualizations like this in, in the EHR as my one question to you? And then what are the patient's responses when you create this graphic for them?
0: Yeah. Okay. So why aren't there more visualizations in the EHR? I think one... I see EHRs visualizing the data, the, the hard data that they have. So things like test results over time, blood pressure over time, EHRs don't, and, and maybe I think Epic's moving toward some, something of a timeline. I haven't seen it, but they don't have a lot of this data that I'm collecting with patients that I'm mm-hmm. talking through with patients. So they don't have, the stress and the life history and something I didn't also mention is mental health. So we map out mental health symptoms alongside physical health Mm. symptoms and histories. And so it's all together as one thing. It's like someone's well-being history. And so it's
1: it's a more accurate depiction of who we are as humans. You know, where we're trying to like bury mental health, like maybe in that social history of our Patient medical record, which takes up a couple of lines, right? As opposed to like intertwine in the history of present illness,
0: right? And because it is important to see them together, because complex patients that I've spoken with lots of physical symptoms may have periods of depression due to their symptoms, Mm -hmm. or periods of depression may also, you know, bring on other symptoms. So it's just there's so much overlap there. It's really, to me, it seems really important to, to pull those together. So the, the health records, they're starting to visualize the data they have, yeah. but it's not the patient's story. That's the yeah. information that some, some different medical assistants, doctors and nurses have clicked boxes to describe who that person is, mm-hmm. but it's not the person's story really. So yeah. that's one issue there. You asked how... Patients react when they see the the timelines and yeah
1: that you create uh, for them
0: yeah so it's been it's been really exciting to see how people react so the type of people who have reached out to work with me are some of the most complex type mm. of patients people with I've actually worked with a lot of people with a, a condition called Ehlers-Danlos mm. syndrome a connective tissue disorder that doesn't have any great treatments and it's like misdiagnosed and misunderstood and they just have often like so many symptoms and so many injuries and like other concurrent diagnoses too so it's just really difficult for people in that position to even understand in their own head everything that's happened and Mm -hmm. see it when I first started working with some of these most complex pa- patients or to me, their clients, I was nervous to share these visuals back to them because mm. I thought, oh, this is gonna make them, you know, feel bad, you know, bad mm. about themselves or this is gonna kind of highlight how complex they actually are. So I was nervous, but what I found was the opposite. There was like this euphoria of, "Wow! oh my gosh, like, this is it, this is me wow, I can't believe you got it all. It's all here. And some people have cried, but out of like a relief of Mm. not, not a sad crying, but like, it's just, they've been disbelieved in many cases for so many years and um, told it's all in their head. And so to see it all there in front of them, it's just like, wow, it's just like a big moment.
1: It's validating. It reminds me of a patient Shannon who had um, the cancer invading her mandible her jaw and I was on this tv show called chasing the cure so I had 3d printed a cat scan of her face and then brought that 3d print on the show and showed it to her and Mm -hmm. it was it was kind of a little scary the mandible had a defect in there where the cancer invaded it Mm -hmm. but her reaction was she cried Mm -hmm. and because she felt oh, I'm validated because on the surface, you don't see what's wrong. But then she's like saying, no, this is why I'm in so much pain over all these years because literally there's a defect in my jaw and here it is. And it was like validating her struggle, her journey with her illness and just to see it visually. So I can imagine how with so many of, your, of the patients that you have worked with, when you show that to them, they're like, wow. Yeah. Someone gets this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's, there's like an emotional gaslighting in a way that happens with, with people who have invisible symptoms. And Mm -hmm. I count myself among them where even your friends and family may have a hard time understanding or may not believe you. And especially for many people, they go to doctors who don't believe them or immediately Mm -hmm. assume it's a psychiatric issue. And so these visuals make it concrete this person this patient has taken the time to work with me to craft this visual of not only the timeline i haven't talked about i, I also map out people's symptoms on um, like the shape of a body
2: so yeah, that they can that.
0: they can say like here's where it burns and we put like a little fire icon or here's um. where it's tingly and so we put together a picture of how their body feels and just the fact of them going through that process and taking taking the time to do that makes it hard to ignore and mm-hmm. hard to say, no, that's all in your head. You're making yeah. all of that really specific information up. Yeah. And so I've heard from the people I've worked with that they feel more believed by doctors. Um, yeah, does it make an impact
1: in? in that doctor-patient visit when they take these visual histories in?
0: Yes, yeah. So that, I mean, and that's really... heart of this in my mind there's a lot of self-discovery that people have through this process but the original intent and i think the heart of it is improving communication between patients and healthcare professionals and so patients have said they're treated more like a partner or like Mm. a colleague even Mm. that they feel more believed i've heard that the doctor has spent less time looking at the computer And more time with them. And I encourage people to actually print these out. And so that then it becomes a shared like artifact between you and the doctor. It's like, we're collaborating over this image together versus there's the screen over there that the doctor has to type into so Mm. i think it just having paper in this interaction helps bring people together
1: yeah that computer screen feels sometimes like the ubiquitous tv in a living room so when you have someone over your house it's like oh well there's a big tv there we should watch it as opposed to (laughs) sharing this artifact of the visual history which i love i want i want to hit so you're a designer who works in healthcare. It's still a bit weird, and but you advocate that hospitals should hire designers. Why should hospitals hire designers? And why do you like working in healthcare as a designer? Because yeah. healthcare is so unsexy. You could be working at, a, at Nike designing shoes, or you could be working <laughs> at Apple, or you could be an architect designing beautiful buildings, and what compels you to work in healthcare?
0: Yeah, good question. I had sort of a personal, little personal journey early on in my design career where I was working for a big digital agency in New York City, RGA, and I loved that work.
1: RGA is a global... Yeah. It's it's very
0: big now, but, and it was just an amazing culture, interesting, eccentric, fun, funny people. I loved it. And then I sort of during that time, and actually this was when I started creating my health visualization way back then. I decided I had never been public about having autoimmune conditions. So during that time, I, I, posted something online for the first time about my health timeline and the fact that I am dealing with autoimmune stuff and just got this like outpouring of support and kind of response and sort of real I just had this big realization I can I can combine the parts of my life the design work that I love and my experience as a patient I can combine those to focus my design work in healthcare hmm. and so from 2012 on. That's what I've done. And it is. was
1: that scary to make that leap. I mean, you're at RGA in New <laughs> York City and has this great design job and to go, hey, I'm going to leave that.
0: I'm going to leave that and I'm going to move to Burlington, Vermont, because I was having more symptoms in New York. It was hard for uh-huh. me living in the city. So I moved to Burlington, set out on my own as a consultant, and just tried to start getting work in healthcare. So yeah, it was...
1: (laughs) Whoa, that's super brave. That's like so (laughs) renegade.
0: To me, it was also, it felt, I I couldn't stay in New York anymore just for health reasons. So it was like, well, Burlington felt like a safe place kind of to go recuperate. And so yeah, it took a few months, but I found people started reaching out and I started, yeah, I started working in healthcare from 2012 on, especially in the beginning with different startups and a health data nonprofit called Mm -hmm. OpenM Health. And yeah, often the work is not say sexy or future forward. Sometimes it feels like healthcare is like a decade behind. It's, I get a lot of satisfaction out of just being, just knowing that this is going to impact people's lives and, and make things just a little bit better, hopefully. Yeah. Even if I, on a lot of projects, I do a lot of writing. And even if all I can do is fix the words mm. and, and make the words easier to understand and more friendly, that's still going to make a, a big impact for certain people. So when I'm working on, like, if I'm working on an EHR flow or a patient portal, thing a lot of times that's all you can do is fix the words cuz you don't you know the design and yeah. a lockdown so.
1: but i think the impact that can have upon thousands even millions of people when you're actually helping people to live healthier lives as opposed to i'm working for some big tech giant working on some widget to improve that so i could sell more product i'm like i don't yeah. know that seems like a little empty to to me yeah and i've read some of your writing and you say that hospitals should hire designers. Why?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So hospitals should hire designers. First I wanted to say there's, there is definitely an ethical kind of mission oriented aspect to the work that I do. So yeah, that's another reason why I like to work in healthcare. You had BJ Miller on your show and he's an end of life activist. I, I think about looking back on my deathbed, what impact have I made and Mm. have I made things better in some way? So I like to think about stuff like that too, but I'll come back around to your question. Why should hospitals hire designers? So hospital systems are just an enormous opportunity for kind of bringing in human-centered, user-centered design everything and hospital systems are super complex there's all these different departments all these different patient touch points and for the most part design has not been a factor in the services yeah. that are offered in the communications that are written just whether digital or analog whether it's a piece of paper or a website It's a
1: black hole of design.
0: It's a black hole of design and created by people who are just doing the best they could. But, you know, more than, more often than not patients weren't consulted or Mm -hmm. brought into the process. So I spent two and a half or so years, very embedded with the local hospital system here in Burlington and just found that it's just an amazing way to to have an immediate impact on people. So a few projects I worked on, I mentioned the the medical bill. The- yeah,
1: I love that project cuz I can't understand a medical bill. Yeah. I don't know what to do with it and I'm a freaking doctor. I look at it I'm like <laughs> what does this even mean? Like where do I pay that? Like how much do I owe? What are all these costs? Why they I like I just can't make sense of it.
0: Yeah. And we knew it was a a pain point there, there was feedback coming in and, and people were actually, there was a somewhat people were not knowing when they had fallen behind, not noticing, and it wasn't really clear on the bill. And so there was just a huge opportunity for improvement. And my colleague at the time, Jeremy,
1: it's embarrassing. I've actually gotten reported to bill collectors Because I like didn't pay my bills. Like I didn't know I owed anything and I'm a doctor and I can't understand this.
0: So that's a design problem, right? Like it should be very, and, and that's one principle I think we were using in our redesign is it should pop out. Even if you're colorblind, no matter what, it should there should just be a really bold, obvious indicator yeah. if you're behind on your bill. So one of our kind of metrics of success is can we prevent more people from going to collections just through yeah. through the design of the actual mm. physical bill? So it was, yeah, I was going to mention my, my colleague at the time, Jeremy Beaudry. Yeah,
1: I love Jeremy. <laughs> he was one of <laughs> uh, the first designers I reached out to in Philadelphia because he was at University of the Arts. And yes. I, he's amazing.
0: Yeah, he's amazing. And he's he's still there at the medical center. And what happened was someone came to him with a, with a request. Can you add a short URL to the medical bill where people can pay online? And he looked at the bill and he said, can we just redesign the whole thing? And so really fortunate in our work there that we had some leadership who were really uh, you know, game for those kind of big projects. And the bill hadn't been redesigned since the 90s. And wow. so it was, we went through this human centered design process. We had workshops with patients where we had them write sticky notes and stick them on cop- big copies of the bill and just tell us how we could make it better and review prototypes with us. So it was an amazing. Project and successful result, and that that new bill was launched. So, yeah,
1: that's I uh, love that story. It's <laughs> such a great story. I mean, yeah, a hospital building is so antiquated. I mean, it, it'd be like going to a restaurant and figuring out you get the check and go, I, I can't, I don't understand how much I pay. And then <laughs> you find out later that you have to dispute an item of the dinner. And then you have to actually send a fax and go back and forth with the collection agency. It's so <laughs> difficult and it's
0: so messed up. And the whole thing of, yeah, like you don't even know how much your meal's gonna cost until like a month later. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, that's a whole, so there's all these like systemic, systematic problems in healthcare that even being in a hospital system, it's like, you don't have much ability to touch that yeah. kind of stuff. So uh, we found our, our ability to make the biggest impact was on the kind of patient experience side mm-hmm. of things, at least in my experience. Mm-hmm. So we also worked on, like I said, wayfinding and, and signage. And that was like a huge project to help people orient. Huge! This.
1: I get lost in my hospital all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so did staff and patients and visitors. And so that was another kind of big priority and another moment where the leadership was game for like, let's do this. So we went through this big kind of research and discovery project. We walked the hospital with like kind of novice eyes on. and We shadowed people as they walked through and tried to find where they were going and really discovered some of the core problems and then ended up partnering with an agency, a wayfinding agency to solve some of those. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it's such a difficult maze of corridors and healthcare systems. Usually they're buildings that get lumped together because you keep, the hospitals keep expanding and then coupled with you're sick or you're scared. Yeah, you're alone, and you're trying to figure out how to get from the radiology suite to the outpatient office, or if you're going uh, for same-day surgery and if you're getting discharged, how to get to your car. Yeah, it is stressful.
0: It's so stressful. It's one of the most stressful aspects of going to the the big campus of our hospital, and. Yeah, and we shadowed someone with congestive heart failure oh. who had to walk down this really long corridor. And we were like, it made us nervous. Like, are we going to yeah. have to help this person out? And also seeing people with orthopedic injuries who are trying mm. to go to the very furthest wing of the hospital from yeah. the parking area, like on crutches or in a wheelchair. So, yeah, so the placement of clinics is one thing and how to place them so they're most convenient but then also just like how can we make this maze how can we place some kind of like construct on top of it so that it's more understandable and for us we ended up doing these colored paths that are kind of like subway Mm -hmm. lines so that you take the like take the green line to the blue line
1: yeah i love that i wish hospitals would hire more designers because i think they could humanize our experiences, both on the provider side and on the patient side, but hospitals have a lot of constraints. Healthcare has a lot of constraints and sometimes I want designers, but then I think you're going to enter into the most complicated, regulated, difficult industry there and people aren't going to understand what design is. So I'm curious to know what sort of obstacles did you face working in a healthcare system as a designer?
0: Yeah, so I think certainly I think there are are kind of leadership obstacles where when it really takes someone in a leadership position to advocate and kind of clear the path for hmm. designers and give them room yeah. to do their best work.
1: You need to have someone with a design mindset to be at the C-suite, to be at yes. the table
0: yeah to advocate and pull for it and talk tell stories and showcase studies when i've seen that even when leadership changes and maybe you don't have that advocacy at a high level anymore it can be hard to make an impact there's definitely kind of a if for important reasons there's like a conservative mindset and mm-hmm. people don't want to change yeah and you don't want to change too quickly and harm Patience. And that's one thing. But I think lack of wanting to change can be a huge obstacle to making positive changes happen, too. Yeah, there's just so much complexity. And also, I think I hear, and I'm sure you do too, the word innovation bandied Mm -hmm. about quite a bit. And to me, that's a red flag. It's a really politically charged term sure it's like different departments want to own innovation yeah. we're the ones who do innovation and that means we're going to find the you know we define innovation as finding the best external products to bring into our suite of products in in the hospital setting and so versus another team might think innovation is Human-centered design in a hospital mm. setting, and so the term, and I think, kind of arguments over innovation and what it means have been uh, big obstacles in some of the other innovation centers and design groups that mm. where my friends have worked, the people I know have worked. So that's a difficult one.
1: Do you have to explain what design is to people in healthcare who aren't designers? Because People yeah. in healthcare, I think, don't understand what design really is or yeah. what design can do.
0: Yeah. So sure. I'm, and education is part of a designer's job too. I have, I usually would show this diagram of the human-centered design process mm. and the different activities that I do along the way. But I found in my work in the, in the hospital setting, especially, the best way to educate people is just to pull them into projects. So I worked with some doctors, some, an epic analysts, uh, who, the people who build the health record. When you work side by side with people like that on projects for many months, six months uh-huh. and bring them into workshops, they just get the feeling and they're part of this human centered design process. And mm. they can see the value that it brings And the way that the solutions that come out of the other end are so much more appropriate for for the people we're designing for and when we can partner with them.
1: What is your advice for designers who want to get into the health or healthcare space? Because I imagine you get a lot of questions and your path is a pretty unique one. It's a pretty brave one. You left a big design firm, RGA, and ventured out on your own. And so I'm wondering if I'm a designer wanting to get into the health and healthcare space, how do I do it?
0: Yeah, I do get a lot of questions about this a couple of times a week. I get people writing me to ask for advice and I wrote up a medium post. That's like advice for people who want to get into healthcare. Yeah, that is out there. Yeah. I'll, I'll send that to you, but some things, that some, yeah, some things I offer to people are to maybe try and find a place to, to like be an intern. Like mm. a lot of places might be taking on interns in some ways, if you're already a designer, so I get a lot of questions from people who want to get into design and mm. into healthcare. Yep. So I end up talking to them a lot about the different paths of getting into design and whether you're going to go to a grad program or try to go to like a general assembly type of program. If you're already a designer and are versed in user experience design and research, it's like there's not that much more to know. For mm. healthcare, it's just mm. start working in healthcare. It's this process is the same, really, no matter where yeah. you apply it. And that's, I think, the strength of that I've seen applying the human centered design process to wayfinding or even Pictle Health as a startup, yeah. and/or even websites, apps, bills. It's like you still have this core process mm. that's kind of the same no matter what. So
1: you could just use the same principles and methods and tools, but they're just sort of different design constraints on that process. Yeah. yeah.
0: Different okay. design constraints and never use fake data when you're showing a prototype to a doctor
1: Yeah, because
0: <laughs> they'll be like, this person's dead. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, there's little things you pick up like that. And of course, you know, picking up the jargon of healthcare and then there's, you start to learn things that you bring to all, all your different projects, you know, learn things in past projects. So yeah, but I think there's a lot of opportunity in just across healthcare. There's a lot of startups um, that are getting a ton of funding right now. And that's an exciting place to be there are a lot of hospital systems that I think are starting to see the need for designers and starting to hire even forward thinking health insurance companies, health insurance startups, and there's a lot going on with health data. So there's just so much opportunity for design and people are actively hiring for designers in healthcare. So to me, it's like, what what about
1: on the other end, if you are a physician or nurse who wants to learn more about, human centered design and what's your advice to them cuz i get asked that a lot
0: yeah i get asked that too sometimes actually i would join ban and rob's uh <laughs> <laughs> series <laughs> listen to ban podcast join what is the series that the talks that you had
1: oh that was for the smithsonian it was designing on the front lines. oh designing on the front lines. Yeah. yeah
0: those were amazing and the better lab has a journal club for doctors oh, interested know, in design. ucsf okay yeah, yeah yeah and that's a really cool group what else yeah so doc- so doctors who work if you work in a hospital that has some kind of design group or innovation lab mm-hmm. a lot of times you probably know more about this than me, but a lot of times a doctor could come in as sort of like a fellow or, you know, just spend some time working on projects and, and really getting into the design process and experiencing it for themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of times it's like connecting the dots, a surgeon from Canada reached out to me and he was working on a project and he needed some help. And I said, listen, there's some dude who's like literally like, on the same floor that you work at, who's <laughs> a designer, and they run a great group. And he never, he didn't even know about that, but it was so circuitous. He had to ask me in Philadelphia, and I go, There's some dude right down the hallway from you. Wow. <laughs> who you should connect with.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah, that's always fun to be able to make those connections for people. I think also conferences are a really great way to get exposure. And when we get to go back into conference life, you mentioned Larry. Choose. Yeah, and, he, was, uh,
1: he, he was on last week and his Stanford <laughs> Medicine X conference is great.
0: Yeah. And that's probably where I met you. Probably yeah, ago. I
1: think so. Yeah, I
0: think so. And so that's one mad pow in Boston has okay, a yep, healthcare experience design conference. Yep. So yeah, there's some different conferences that are healthcare oriented, also design oriented where it's really great to hear case studies from different groups, whether they're hospital design groups, you know, startups, or even agencies and learn from their experiences. Yeah.
1: Cool. We're running out of time. Last question. Vermont was doing really well during the pandemic. When I look at these maps of where COVID was spreading, that little Northeast corner of Vermont did so well. And like, well, I'm curious to know, why did Vermont as a state do so well compared to other states? And and how have you been finding some rest and relaxation during the pandemic?
0: Sure. So some things that I've been reading, Vermont is a very kind of com- communal, community-oriented, has this culture for many years. Like there's these town meetings where people mm. show up and participate. So I think I think that's one part of the culture that people mm. have brought up about Vermont and people are willing to wear masks and and adjust their behavior so that they don't harm the people around them. Mm. We also, interestingly, I mean, we're the home of Bernie Sanders, but we also have a Republican governor, Phil Scott, who mm. really has just been a great leader through the pandemic and given really common sense advice and locked down the state when it's when necessary and encouraged people to wear masks. So I think there's this like bipartisan leadership approach in Vermont that may also have an impact here. And also we're like a somewhat rural state. So there's maybe not as many opportunities. for. But people.
1: there's all these other rural states out yeah, west yeah. that- yeah. The virus decimated them, and Vermont was, yeah, the cases caseloads have been always very low during the pandemic, which was yeah. so surprising.
0: We feel so lucky, my husband and I, we feel so lucky to have been here during this time. And I'm immunosuppressed, and so that's a factor, but yeah, we. And how have we been keeping sane? We've been trying to get outside as much as possible. So we haven't been more than 40 miles away from my home in a year. Wow! But what we have done is just a lot of hiking and even skiing yeah. cross country and downhill, spending lots of time outside. And even on the coldest, days of winter we would try and meet up with friends outside in like snow boots and like snow pants ah, so and, like cool. hang out for like 45 minutes before we got too cold
1: yeah <laughs> so just <laughs>
0: try and get some social time too in a very like northern way so, yeah yeah
1: Well it was so great to catch up yeah, thanks for being too. on the show
0: yeah thanks for having me
1: Joining me now is the producer of Design Lab, Rob Puglisi. Hello. I love Katie McCurdy. We need more people like her in healthcare.
2: Absolutely. Her story is really incredible and how she's blended her experience with these really challenging diseases with her work as a designer.
1: Yeah. I mean, she brings in her expertise as a designer, as a patient living with chronic disease, of working in the healthcare system space. I love her work. Picto Health is amazing. She's reimagining the way of patients telling their stories. You should do one of those PictoHealth things.
2: It would be pretty fascinating, although, you know, uh, diabetes is pretty far off from something as challenging to diagnose as like Ehlers-Danlos, which she was talking about some of the work she does. And you have some experience with working with these really rare diseases from your show, right? Like, Yeah,
1: Chasing the Cure. I wish we had brought in Katie McCurdy to do the visual health histories because they were so complicated of trying to figure out what was going on with the patient, their constellation of symptoms. And it was challenging to get all their medical data and to coalesce that data. And I wish we could make it visually appealing to the viewers who had watched the show.
2: Yeah. And people don't talk about this much. There's a lot of people out there with these rare diseases and it can take on average five years or more to get a diagnosis. And in that one condition she was talking about in in Ehlers-Danlos, it can take 10 to 20 years on average That's for a crazy. diagnosis to occur. So these tools that people like Katie are creating could be really valuable for somebody who's going through something like that. Yeah,
1: and especially with those who have invisible diseases where it's not like a cancer that can be picked up on a CAT scan or MRI images, these constellation of symptoms that are messing with our immune system or our endocrine system and that we can't see visually. It's hard for patients and I think patients don't feel validated because a lot of doctors blow them off.
2: And it's fascinating to see the value of design because quite frankly, medicine's not at the point where diagnoses can be had easily for these conditions. And it's only in bringing some nuanced understanding to this constellation, to this journey, where you can actually get anything valuable out of it. And that's where I think design has a really great role.
1: Yeah. And design's visual and The storytelling in medicine is traditionally an oral storytelling medium that we don't think of patient histories as being these visual representation, this information architecture that can be shown through timelines and graphs of how a human is experiencing their illness. That's not captured in the electronic health record. So PictoHealth is amazing. Everyone should check it out. Super cool! I want to see more of that in healthcare. Um, well, we want to talk about our next guest coming up next week. Who is that, Rob?
2: So next week we have Gideon Mashava. And he is an entrepreneur, designer. He's done work in both Mozambique and South Africa. And he's the author of a book called Design Sutra. Design which,
1: Sutra? Yeah, I got to check That's it out. That's a cool book.
2: Yeah, uh, It's a collection of design principles for designers in earlier stages of their careers. And Google actually named him one of the best community builders in Africa.
1: What? Oh, so cool. And thanks to Robert Fabricant, again, who has made that intro to us. Robert's been great of connecting us with designers in the
2: Global South. So we appreciate that, Robert. Yeah. So stay tuned for next week's episode. It's going to be another great one.
1: And remember to support us. The best way to support us is by not giving us money. We don't have a platform to collect your money yet, but all you need to do is to go into Apple Podcasts and give us five stars.
2: That's it. Just five easy stars.
1: Easy stars, so easy to do. And if you really want to get us pumped up, leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. right now. that's currently the only platform to do it. But uh, if you don't feel like doing that, just subscribe to our podcast and you do that on multiple platforms right like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and whatever else is out there. Follow Katie McCurdy on Twitter at K-A-T-I-E-M-C-C-U-R-D-Y. And you can also follow Pictal Health at P-I-C-T-A-L Health. Reach out to us on social media. I love that. My Twitter handle is at bonku. My Instagram is at dr The Design Lab was produced by the one and only Rob Polisi. Our theme music was created by Emmanuel Houston. And the cover design by Eden Liu. See you next week.